Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Vail Dance Festival returns to the stage July 29th through August 9th. Conversations on Dance returns for a fifth year to bring audiences behind the curtain and closer to the festival artists they love. Our live podcast recordings have just been announced and will be running from July 30th through August 9th, totaling 10 events. Guests include Justin Peck, Sarah Mearns, Pam Tanowitz, Caroline Shaw, Lauren Lovett, and many others. I will be on maternity leave this summer. These live events will be hosted by Michael with special guest hosts throughout the festival. Tickets are on sale now and can be purchased at veildance.org slash conversations dash on dash dance, or click the link in the description of this episode. Be sure to subscribe to Conversations on Dance wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of the content coming from the Vail Dance Festival. Do you wish you could quit your side job and make dance your sole income? Are you worried you wouldn't be able to make the money you need to be an entrepreneur? Do you see other dancers fulfilling their dreams but don't know how to make it happen for yourself? Well, Allie Phillips has a brand new 10-week dance business coaching program that will prepare you to turn your passion into profit. 10 weeks of self-led challenges and stretches to push you out of your comfort zone. 10 weeks of accountability and support as you take action on your ideas. 10 weeks of community, collaboration, and celebration with other dance entrepreneurs. You'll receive knowledge of what's holding you back from your next level of income in your business, clarity on your specific why and how you can turn that into profit, guidance on building new daily habits and routines, navigation of money blockages and abundance mindset, clarity on business visions, goals, and purpose, support with creating structure and prioritizing ideas, and much more. For Conversations on Dance listeners only, if you sign up in the month of June, you'll receive 20% off her new 10-week coaching program. Just mention you heard about her program through Conversations on Dance. Click the link in the description of this episode to visit her website for all details. Everyone must have a quick free discovery call to see if the program is the right fit. Special thanks to the Town of Vail for their support of the Vail Dance Festival and this episode of Conversations on Dance. 
I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. On today's episode of Conversations on Dance, we're joined by Efrat Asheri, Bessie Award-winning B-girl and choreographer. We caught up with Efrat on her artistic output since her first appearance on the podcast in January 2021, including her work for Guggenheim Works in Process, collaborating with the elders of the underground dance scene, and touring her work, Odeon. Efrat is returning to the Vail Dance Festival this year where Odeon and a new choreographic work will be performed. Catch Efrat Asheri Dance at the festival on July 31st. Uh, Efrat, thank you so much for coming back on. We're, we're so grateful to have you back on. We had such a fun time last time when you and Duke Dang came on to um, talk about the work you were doing at the Guggenheim. But now we have just you. Um, so we're, we're excited to talk to you. But we wanted to see if you could do a little bit of info about um, your background in dance, how you first got interested for anyone that may have missed the, the first episode that we had you on. Sure. Well, so happy to be back. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Michael. Really great to be here. Um, okay, so I'll make I'll try to make this short. Uh, how did I get into dancing? Goodness. Okay, so um, you know I was born in Israel, and then we moved to Italy when I was ten months old, and then we came to the U.S. when I was seven. And the music I started listening to on the radio that I really liked was hip hop. So I started just kind of dancing for fun with my friends and just learning all the social dances of that era. Also in tandem to that, uh, my mom put me in ballet class at the age of 10. I am one of five. I have four big brothers and I grew up kind of playing soccer and running around after them. And then my mom still takes ballet to this day. She's a really, you know, yeah, it's pretty amazing. She's uh, going to be, yeah, she's 77. Aww, so it's pretty yeah. awesome. awesome. Big, big inspiration to me. And she was like, maybe try this, see if you like it. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to like it. But I did. I like jumping and turning a lot. And um, at the same time, though, I kept doing all, you know, like the party dances I was learning of of that era a long while ago. I won't specify the decade, but you can imagine golden era of hip hop. Uh Um, (laughs) And but but ironically, it wasn't until I was actually older uh, in my very early 20s that I got into breaking specifically. And that was, um, again, always been a big hip hop music fan and all the party dances but when I saw breaking specifically which Mm -hmm. is the original form of hip-hop dance for the first time on stage I'd seen it in music videos but I hadn't seen it on stage and I saw Rennie Harris's company perform at ADF they performed Roman Jewels and it was the first time that I saw a woman breaking Mm -hmm. live on stage in front of me that was Lady Jewels who lives out in Colorado incredible b-girl and that's when I was like whoa you know, I think my everything, something just really shifted because it was like, oh, the theater, which I loved, I always loved performing mm-hmm. and all the things I loved about music and dancing, which were, you know, uh, rhyming, rapping, right. MCing as part of hip hop, plus the dance, plus all the just kind of theatrical elements and the way there was so much explosiveness and subtleness and creativity. I mean, of course, at the time I couldn't articulate this. I just was like, this is the right. best thing ever, all my interests <laughs> together. And that really led me to, you know start learning how to break and later get into the club, you know, New York city underground scene, which really shaped me as a dancer and as an artist. Cause it was there where I right. saw people really being free and, you know, bringing all their different dance influences together and their different cultural expressions together. And mm-hmm. so that really shifted things for me. Yeah. yeah. 
I wonder if, was that a time when you also saw like, oh, this could be a career path for me kind of like at that same moment, or were you just still like, this is just fun for me. Maybe I'll do something else in my life, but I'll always have this passion. I, you know, that's a great question. I think I was so, my world just shifted so dramatically. Like when I, when I started breaking, it wasn't like, oh, I, you know, I just learned a little bit here and there. It was like, I was so lucky that I got to be immersed in the community because I met Richard Santiago, AKA break easy, my breaking mentor. And he had these free community practices and it wasn't just, you know, you learn these moves. It was like, oh, okay. If you're really into this and you're really about this, these are these, you know, parties that I'm having with my family or here are the records that we used to spin in the seventies. Like here's a connection mm-hmm. to, you know, Mambo and salsa. And like, so and here are the newspaper clippings where, you know, my crew breaking in style, this is break easy talking. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we got, we won this battle and it was in a newspaper and you're like, oh, so yeah, I was really lucky because getting into the dance meeting for me meant understanding the culture immediately in one moment because mm-hmm. right. of the mentors and the elders I had around me. So that was really, really like a huge, just like fortune and gift in my life. And the same thing in the underground scene, I was really lucky to be in get into the scene at a time when the parties, you know, I mean, there was still an amazing party called shelter that was happening regularly where it was like, you were putting in hours and hours and hours and hours and hours on the dance floor. That was your training ground. And I was dancing with people that were dancing since the 1970s, you know, and bringing forth Hmm. that vibe that New York city club vibe that is so, you know, incredibly special and unique. So Yeah. Yeah. This, this was I guess one of my that favorite. didn't really answer your question, but <laughs> all to say was like, I was so deep in it. I wasn't thinking like, what is my career? I was doing the New right. York hustle. Like I was babysitting and tutoring and you know what I mean? Waiting tables and doing all of the things mm-hmm. that most, uh, you know, most artists in the beginning are doing in New York. Time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite things that we talked about last time that you've just brought up is um, your connection to the elders and your respect for the tradition and the roots of, um, you know, uh, underground dance and, and breaking. And, um, and I just think that it, it's, it's such a, for us, it was an easy way to connect because of course that's how we in ballet, you know, it's passed down person to person. It's the same thing, but with, with breaking, I think because it feels so contemporary and it feels so Im- immediate and modern, like your mind go, does not go down that path of like, there's a tradition here. And this is like, we're, we need to preserve what the these elders began and i love how connected you are to that it's so fascinating yeah it's really i mean it's everything and i think you know i think that's a big part of a lot of africanist traditions like your relationship to your elders mm-hmm. and and the respect and the reverence you have and the understanding you know that we wouldn't be here without them we would you know i wouldn't be able to know know these dances if they weren't shared with me by you know and like you said this is relatively speaking, still a young form, like, mm-hmm. you know, breaking starting in the early seventies and those early underground parties are also late sixties, early seventies. So a lot of those dancers that were part of ushering in these communities and these cultures are still here with us, you know, and right. that is a huge gift and something that we should celebrate, which is part of underscore the new project I'm working on where we're, you know, collaborating with elders who are, you know, 60, 63 and 79 years old. So mm-hmm. Pretty, yeah. Archie Burnett, Bravo La Fortune, and Michelle Saunders, you know, and they, they're really giving us a run for their money. I mean, they are full out with feeling when mm-hmm. I tell you 
sometimes I have to be like, I think we need to just like mark this because we're going to do a run in a second. Uh-huh. And they're like, no, this is my song. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> That's amazing. Wait, yes. Tell us a little bit more about this project. And I mean, you started down the road. Let's hear all about it. Yeah, so <laughs> Underscored is this project that we... Um, that's commissioned by Works and Process of the Guggenheim. And we were supposed to premiere in October 2020. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic happened. And so the last mm-hmm. time I was on the podcast, we were talking about, right. I think it was right before the Lincoln Center uh, video, right? Yeah. That was mm-hmm. what we talked mm-hmm. about, which was a way yeah. that we oh. were exactly, we were able to sort of keep working on the project in this other iteration because right. we couldn't be all together to work on the, you know, the version for the theater, um, which right. was a huge gift. And that, w- that was actually the first time we had, been dancing together after months of being apart. Now here we are, fast forward two years, and we are finally getting ready for the actual premiere, which is happening in the fall. So two years later, wow. fall 2022 wow. at Works of Process at the Guggenheim. And you know, it's been such a journey because I think none of us could have ever imagined that the thing that was actually at the crux and the essence of the piece, which is the club which mm-hmm. is the reason that mm-hmm. all of us connected, right. you know, all of us of varying ages and different backgrounds, like, and we're talking ages like 27 to 79 mm-hmm. from different parts of the world, different parts of the country, that very sacred place, the club was taken from us, from all of us, right? We couldn't gather mm-hmm. fully. We started to be able to party a little bit outside in the street, but you know what I mean? Like the club itself was gone. Mm-hmm. Right. So how extra essential this piece feels and how urgent it feels to say, Hey, like, these are those spaces, those sacred spaces, those safe spaces where all this intersection of, you know, uh, music and movement and culture come together. And it's how we all met. And it's a really, yeah, I think it's a really powerful story and, uh, and sort of really gets at the importance of gathering and community, which I think more than ever, we are all understanding how essential it is. For sure. Yeah. We've, when we talk to people who have these like projects that were put off for forever, like this, you know, because of the pandemic, two years. So it's something that you don't often have in your mind, like, oh, here's a project that's coming and I get two years to think (laughs) about it. And especially something like this, where you're talking about working with the elders and like having, I'm sure, a very direct back and forth. I wonder how much um, not only has that impacted this specific project, but also a lot of the other work that you've been doing, um, kind of like having this extra time with them, this extra inflection, you know, time to think about it and that kind of. Yeah, it's interesting because again, like because the elders are, they're like family to me, like even before the project, I mean, mm-hmm. Archie and Bravo, we've known each other for like almost 20 years dancing together okay. and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's just brought us closer and like brought another dimension to the relationship right. because gosh, they're so generous. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's so inspiring. They're so generous of spirit. They're, they're so excited to share and like be in it, you know? And I'm like, Oh, that never has to end. Like that quality in any human being can keep growing forever. It's pretty insane. And then with Michelle Saunders, who I, I haven't known for that long, but we met three years ago now and we were like kindred spirits and sort of feeling like, how did we not meet? We were all at the same parties. Um, (laughs) Again, that has that in, in particular with Michelle, it has given us more time to just hang out. Like even now we just hang out when she comes to the city, cause she lives a couple hours North. Like she stays with me. We're friend. I mean, we're mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's my friend. I mean, yeah, that's my right. elder and my mentor, but she's my friend too, you know, and it's, I really, really cherish that. And so, and, and honestly, like 
the the natural way that stories are shared in the scene is just by conversation. It's not like I'm going to sit down and tell you the story. It's like, oh, this song reminds me of that night when this happened and you couldn't believe it. This person, he like flipped backwards from the, the wall and, and you had to be, you know, those <laughs> things are happening more and more of those things are happening and those memories are coming to the forefront because we have more mm-hmm. time. Right. Um, right. And also because the idea of memory too and I feel in time, and this is something I think the pandemic has kind of illuminated for all of us. Right. Mm-hmm. Feels kind of elusive. And like memory is cyclical. Like it's not linear. Like sometimes we remember things out of order or, you know, so our personal histories are kind of these like beautiful amalgams of memories that don't always go in. It's in a chronology. And that's why they're also very precious. And this extra time, I think, has mm-hmm. allowed more of those stories to emerge and be part of the work, you know? Right. That's, yeah. It's, it's such a cool journey. I mean, it's, it's, it was a rough time. Well, speaking of rough times, let's go, let's go back to the last time we, t- we talked, which I think was about the roughest time. It was uh, January, 2021 was when we posted it. So, um, you know, that was the peak peak, I, it, but it was like, we saw that glimmer because the vaccines were starting to roll out. Um, but let's, let's go f- for your artistic journey. What, what, what is, what have you been doing? How have things ramped up since then? You were still at that point, obviously shows were not capable of, of being performed for live audiences. So you had really pivoted to a lot of film work. Um, yes. So how, what were some of the projects you were taking wow. on then? <laughs> so <laughs> I did, so oh much. my gosh, I did do this one <laughs> kind of insane project <laughs> where it was, um, okay, it was a collaboration with the, um, like incredible illustrator named Mo Willems. So if people have like young children between the age of like three and 10, you probably know Mo. He, uh, one of his most famous books is like, don't let the pigeon drive the bus. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> maybe some of the listeners will know, but check out Mo Willems. And it was a co-commission with the Kennedy Center. And we were supposed to do a live performance. Um, and I was really excited about it because it was going to be a lot of, you know, a kind of school shows. And I was going to have it be immersive with the school, uh, with the children, Aww. like coming up on stage and like mm-hmm. drawing and dancing with us. And I was so excited about it. Cool. Pandemic. Of course, none of that can go down. Mm. I decide it's a good idea for us to make a film, but not any kind of film, an animated film. It's it's ah, so cool. I, I, we ha- I, we you, definitely have to share because it's it's like just, all the clips that you posted on Instagram. Oh, it's it's so creative and fun. Thank you, but it was wild. I didn't know what it meant. First of all, to really make a film like a long film that wasn't mm-hmm. three to five minutes, and I didn't realize how hard it is to dance in a green screen studio. Right. <laughs> With snake about when you're used to dancing. So it was basically because we wanted to add the animation, we did everything on a green, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, in a green screen and that floor, everything has to be green and has to stay green. So later you can, you know, do all the editing and the animation. And oh my goodness. So because we were dancing in sneakers, because we were, you know, breaking and dancing house and, um, the floor kept getting marked up. Uh And every time there's something that gets marked up, it's going to pose an issue in post-production uh-huh. so we would have to stop mm-hmm. and clean it or repaint the floor or deal with it about, like, it was actually oh. things you would never think about I learned right. so right. much aside from how you know exciting the actual collaboration was and being inspired by Mo's drawings but wow that was so much more work than I ever <laughs> but it did get good reviews for um, from three to five year olds, I really heard good feedback, and that was our target oh. targeted audience. It was like little kids, like no, maybe three to seven. So like it was my first time working um, 
and doing a film for young audiences, like really working on a, a project specifically geared towards young ones. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I was, a uh, that was nice. It, well, was it, it gets good reviews from me too. And I have a three oh. and a five in my age. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I love it. You know what's cool? I was just thinking about um like a lot of times we have people on the podcast and people will refer back to videos that they saw that really made them want to dance. And Michael and I will be like, oh yeah, we remember that one too. Like very specific things that are like, you know, now on YouTube. And I just wonder if like, I don't know, in 10, 15 years, there's going to be kids that are like, I saw this video and I wanted to dance. How cool. That would be amazing. Like that's I I mean, for sure. Yeah. 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 So so tell us now a little bit about what, well, what was your first performance back in front of a live audience? And then how did things grow from there? Um, okay, yeah. So we did, okay, so the Mo film, we filmed in February. And then in April of 2021, we got to film Odeon at the mm-hmm. Joyce. So we had pre- premiered Odeon um, in November 2019. And then, but, and we had three evenings in 2019. And then we were invited back to do a, a film version, a filmed version of Odeon that could be live streamed. So that was really, that was our first time back in like a theater. Right. Where we didn't have an audience, right? right? That was really exciting just to be able to be back in the work. It was the first time we performed without masks on with each other. Like we hadn't seen each other's faces. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Inside right. in a long time. Um, and mm-hmm. then we did one more bubble residency with... Um, at Bridge Street Dance Theater, um, made possible also by Works in Process, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. went right into our first indoor performance in the rotunda of the Guggenheim. That's so cool. In June. Uh, and that was a 30-minute, you know, version of Underscored that I basically was like, this is my dream. I love thinking about movement from a bird's eye perspective because mm-hmm. so much of the floor work in breaking can be so interesting to look at from a bird's eye view. Right. So of course, that's mm. the rotunda at the Guggenheim. So I got to live my best bird's eye view life and like make all this stuff that right. I don't know, maybe will never be seen again because, <laughs> rare. because who knows if we'll so ever do it now. Right. But so yeah, that was really, really exciting for us. And um, and actually it was kind of wild. Right before we did that show that same day, we filmed a version, like a, a 12 minute version of Underscored at Harlem stage for their virtual programming went right to the Guggenheim. It was like, we're coming back hard, full out with feeling. Um, and so that was, that was super exciting. And then, Oh, we did. Um, I'll never forget this. We did a uh, Spalletto in Charleston. Uh, such yes. a fun and festival. I, and yeah, city. it was amazing. I mean, we talk about humidity and mosquitoes and it didn't matter. We were so happy to be there in all kinds of weather but like it started yeah. raining in the middle of one of the shows and we like stopped and then cleaned the floor and then started again. It was great. Oh. I will never forget this. We had not performed in front of a live audience, you know, since March. Well, I mean, like, no, I guess, you know, I mean, I guess I, I should say, so we did the Guggenheim. We had done a couple of um, performances in Kotspahn in September, 2020 outdoors, but this right. was like a really right. full house. Yes. We, right. It was outside, but it was like a lot of people. And there was one little section in Odeon called Brigero. And it's one moment where we come really far downstage and we look out at the audience and we always kind of say something to, you know, to the audience in whatever city we're in. Like we shout out the name of the, the city or the theater or the sports team or whatever, you know, uh-huh. but we, I, I said to, I said to Manuel Omega, two of the dancers in the company, wonderful, amazing artists. I said, when we get downstage, let's just scream people. 
And we were like, oh, oh everyone started cheering. And it was like so exhilarating. Uh, <laughs> I'll never forget that. I was like, yes, people, thank you for being here. Oh, I bet the audience just like really felt that yeah, though too. They did. Probably feeling the exact they thing. did. And honestly, I was very moved by those shows. I remember an audience member came, we had a QA or yeah. And after the show, I, you know, we were all kind of chatting and a woman came up to me and just really thanked me. She was like, I've been really, you know, pretty down in the pandemic and I've been taking care of like a sick relative and like, thank you. was lifted my spirit. And that means so much to me and to so many artists, you know, when right. we're doing what we're doing. It's like, ah, okay, this, you related to this, you felt this. So, right. Yeah. That's the point. <laughs> well, you have. Yeah, you have another opportunity to uh, dance Odeon outside and you'll get to shout Veil because you'll be at the Veil Dance Festival. Yes. <laughs> and so that will be in the evening of July 31st. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit, you've already kind of touched on the project and that it started in 2019. Tell us about the origins of it, how many times it's you know been seen since then and kind of like how it's evolving now. Yeah, so Odeon, very special project to me. Um, we actually premiered it in 2018 at the Pillow, at Jacob's Pillow. And okay. um, we were really fortunate to get the NDP award for it, National Dance Project, mm-hmm. which allowed us to really start touring the work in a way that other work hadn't been able to tour because right. we had mm-hmm. theaters had some subsidy to help bring the work out. And so we've been touring it basically since then, uh, of course, with the hiatus of the pandemic. And, and so it's such a gift because it's been able to grow. I mean, it's definitely not the same show it was in 2018 or 2019 or 2020, like right. because we're living in it so much and things keep changing. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love making changes. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's so, there's so much structure and there's so much choreography in it, but I've left enough kind of um, room to improvise because these are freestyle forms. That's really important. Number one. Mm-hmm. And then also rhythmically, like, you know, there's a lot of like body percussion in it. And there's just like pockets where we can start to, as we get more, more and more comfortable with the movement and the rhythms, sort of theatrically, we can shift things or what are the, the relationships are shifting between us on stage. And so there are really ways that the work keeps growing, which is why I'm excited to bring this version, this iteration, or this right. kind of dimension of Odeon to Vail. It's so beautiful over there. It's so exciting to be going. I'm like, um, but yeah, but it's, Mm-hmm. Have you performed at the festival before? Yes, with Dorrance Dance. Oh, oh right. Okay. When yes. was that? So, oh gosh, don't ask me to. A I while ago. <laughs> a while ago, yeah. it was me. Was it? Was it 2017? Maybe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I have to check. Everything just pre-pandemic feels a little bit hard for me to like right. remember the exact <laughs> what year. Is time anymore. <laughs> I, yeah. What is time? But um, I just remember being like, "Wow, this place." Oh, I. <laughs> I also remember um, the <clears throat> getting used to the altitude yes. um, and yes. that is, and we're really, but you know, maybe because we've had to dance in masks for so long, maybe we're kind of somehow prepared in a way. That's true. I don't know. Yeah. Um, don't, that's what we've been hearing about coming back. It's like uh, people didn't, because uh, Rebecca and myself, like as retirees, like that's <laughs> the thing we were thinking of like, oh my God, like imagine the stamina issues and like everyone seemed pretty fine they were yeah. like oh. i mean it's normal they're like it's okay it's the normal stamina issues veil's okay. always hard i think but like yes. it's not yeah. worse you know okay so, yeah. well i'm cool. gonna knock on wood <laughs> you guys are gonna be great i'll be no problem not, throw, throw me an oxygen tank. Yeah. <laughs> they have them back there for you they, sure <laughs> they <do>. are prepared <laughs> Wait, so um, one thing that was interesting about Odeon to me is that you collaborated with your brother. 
Yeah. And um, I don't know, there aren't too many, like um, in terms of, you know, there, you, we're used to seeing like family situations on stage, like, you know, like the Delgados whom we love, like they perform ballets together and like city ballet always has siblings, but to do your brother's a composer, right? My brother's a pianist and he's a musical director for, yeah, for the, for Odeon. Right. So like that relationship where you're, you're, um, you're coming from different art forms. I think that's pretty unique. I can't think of something offhand, like in the dance world that is like that. So what's that back and forth? Like, especially you guys obviously know each other pretty well. so. (laughs) So, um, well, I should just say, my brother is not going to be at Vail, unfortunately. Oh. He's a little baby that he's taking oh, care of. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, he, so he is the person who introduced me to the music of Ernesto Nazareth. Uh-huh. The whole piece of Odeon, it's all Ernesto Nazareth with these like percussive breaks mm-hmm. that um, were created based off of Nazareth's music in collaboration with one of the original percussionists in the piece, Sergio Krakowski, who now lives in Brazil. And so Ehud, my brother, is a jazz pianist, consummate jazz pianist, incredible, wow. brilliant. So cool. And he, he's also a composer. But this particular piece, mm-hmm. he, it was like, I remember going to his, I would always go to his gigs. And I remember just hearing this one piece of music. And I was like, oh, what's that piece that you always play, Ehud? It sounds like samba. Like mm-hmm. it has this like Brazilian feel. He's like, oh yeah, that's Nazareth. That's his composer. You should check out more of his music. I was like, okay. So I started listening to more of his music. And because we had, in 2016, my brother and I did a, our first collaboration, which was all jazz standards. It was called Riff This Riff That. And it was looking at the oh. vernacular jazz dance roots of breaking hip hop and house. And so it was like, you know, we had, lit, it was like a lot of Lindy partner work, but then, and then like the Big Apple, right? This very well-known traditional jazz dance, but kind of remixed and looking at the connections and really thinking about jazz as the root of a lot of these dances. Mm-hmm. Um, and that collaboration went well and we were surprised. <laughs> so, you never know. You know, you never know. <laughs> and so once I started, you know, listening to Nazareth and who said, you know, why don't we try, want to do another show? And I was like, all right. And then we yeah. just started kind of going. And I mean, you know, with siblings, it's sort of like, I remember one of, um, <laughs> one of the dancers was like, I've just never like, you oh this was maybe in riff this riff that she didn't know for whatever reason that it was my brother she hadn't met him uh-huh. she came late to rehearsal or something and she was like oh i've never heard you talk to anybody like that and i was like what do you mean <laughs> like well you're so di- you're just so direct like uh-huh. you didn't and i was like, oh that's my brother like we don't you know, sugar like, there's, right. there's no sugar coating it's like no that temple's not gonna work like <laughs> right. just telling you um yeah no, but we definitely have we don't always see eye to eye. And I think that's good. He has really strong opinions because he's an expert in what he's doing. And he'll be like, no, it's, that's not what it was when it was written. And I think this is beautiful the way it was written. And I'm like, right. well, but this feel, if we pick up the temple just a little bit, right, right, right. we can sit in this po- pocket with me, with the music. And if it's too slow, I'm never gonna, we're never going to be able to do that jump. You know, like right. there's right. things he's not thinking about because he's not moving to the mm-hmm. music. So that's always very interesting, you know? So what kind of like changes in work is he doing? So there's, you know, obviously this is a um, piece of music that's already in existence. Is he kind of doing like an orchestration sort of of it where there's things coming in and out? Yeah, that's a great question. So the way this composer, Nazareth, composed, I mean, he's quite brilliant. He wrote a lot for piano, but the music early on in Brazil, because it was played in like dance halls and also Nazareth himself, 
So the title of Odeon is, is the first piece I ever heard of this composer. But Odeon was also a really big movie theater in Rio, in Brazil. Mm. And Nazaré himself would play in the waiting room while people were online to go to see the movie. Amazing. Or sometimes he'd accompany the silent films. So, um, so, cool. right. so it's pretty amazing. So he composed for piano, but then a lot of people also already, and we're talking about like early 20th century. So he's composing like 1890s to 1934. They started playing it on the Cavaquinho, like this little Brazilian string, like a guitar. And so, and some people were playing it on flute. It already had a lot of other adaptations, but mm. my brother was playing everything on piano, but because of how well it is written and all the lines, he was like, it will be easy enough for us to arrange it with bass, with two percussionists and piano. So he proposed that idea. And I was like, right. yes, this is yes. sounds so good. And then because the percussion is so live, we were able to like pull out the rhythms that kind of spoke to me when I heard it and reminded me mm -hmm. of different rhythms I grew up listening to, whether in hip hop or dance hall, and making those connections from a lot of different rhythms from the African diaspora, right? A lot mm -hmm. of West African rhythms layered in there and pull them out when we need to. And, you know, kind of really uh, have a beautiful time, you know, thinking about that. So uh, that's yeah. so cool. I, I can't wait to see it in action. Uh, that's July 31st in Vail. Yeah. So yeah. anyone that's at, that is considering coming to Vail, Got to be there by the 31st. That's right. This is going to be Change major. your flights if you're not there yet. I did want to know, is, will it be played live in Vail? Yes. Wonderful. Yes. So cool. Four musicians, six dancers will be there doing it up. Oh, Can't wait. So awesome. Well, for our listeners that cannot make it to Vail this year, um, where else can we see you perform? What's what's after the festival? Um, so we're going to be, okay. So let me, I have to think things. Okay. Yeah. We do veil. <laughs> so many things. <laughs> and then, yes. And then, um, wait, what's right after veil? Oh, we are going to be, wait, I don't want to forget. Oh, we're going to be at the yard in Martha's Vineyard doing oh, a little so residency to, to work on underscored, kind of thinking about underscored in how underscored can live in a lot of different kinds of spaces. So, you know, you know, kind of a proscenium stage, but also a little black box and then sort of, you know, different, just kind of wrapping our head around that. So we'll be doing a showing there in Martha's Vineyard. And, and then we are going to be, okay, let me remember this. Well, we have our, oh, we're going to be in Boulder, Colorado nice. at University of Colorado, Boulder, right? Yeah. That's going to be in November. But right before that is really where you want to come check us out if you're in New York. Because we'll have our premiere of Undersport at the Guggenheim. Um, that's at the Guggenheim, November thirteenth and fourteenth. Nice. Uh, yes, our premiere finally two years in the making. Oh. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, that's so, so wonderful. So We're so happy to see you doing all this cool stuff. That's so such a joy to watch, and we know that all those audiences, fail included, are in for such a treat to see this wonderful work. And so we really appreciate you filling us in, giving us a preview. I'll see you there. <laughs> so much. Can't wait to see you. Have a beautiful day. 